0: Are you grateful for God's promise? Amen? A great promise to each and every one of us that he's coming again. Now, I want to read our scripture for you today because this is just alive in us, isn't it? This is the promise of God to us. That the day is coming when he is going to step out. And this world, as we know it, a new order is going to begin in things. Are you looking forward to that day? friends either we're going to him or he's coming for us I don't care which one it is I'm just when he's ready I'm ready I want to be ready don't you listen to what it says in Acts chapter 1 if you have your Bibles you can look there with me we're going to begin reading at verse 3 praise the Lord the Lord is good to us isn't he After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father, the promise which you have heard and speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking here into the sky? Now, I've always thought that was a pretty obvious thing. The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Father, we are looking forward to that day. Let the hope of your truth reign upon us today. Strengthen us and minister to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, let every heart be encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the scripture we read this morning, Luke, the writer of Acts, is transitioning. He's finished one book. He's sent it. To Theophilus, He's finished one book about the life and the teaching and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and now he's transitioning to his writing in the book of Acts that documents the spread and the establishment of the church. This first chapter and first couple of chapters are so important for us to understand. After the resurrection, Jesus spent some time, about 40 days, with his followers on earth and uh, with some, frankly, who had not been followers while he was on earth. And he's teaching them again about his purpose to come to this earth to be our redeemer, to pay the price for our sin so that we have freedom when we come and stand before God, to stand before him, not on our own merit, but upon his. And about their call to the world, the call of the church world, our call today, the purpose of the church, to go into the world and share this good news. He begins with Jesus telling them to wait in Jerusalem for power. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. Uh, two men in white robes show up and, you know, they say men, we believe angels, show up and ask them why they are looking in, into the sky because he's going to come back in, very, in this very same way. Basically, he's telling them, why are you standing around? It's time to follow orders. Go do what, you, what he told you to do. The Bible that we read, it claims to be, listen, the Word of God. Uh, When we think about the Word of God, we think about God's Word to us that we can put our trust in, God's Word to us that gives us direction. It's a revelation of God to man so we can know what's right and wrong, so we can know how to relate to God. It supports that claim by the unity of doctrine that you find in this marvelous you know, 66 books of the Bible, by the wisdom of its moral teaching and by the lasting power. But the, the key difference between the Bible and any other religious book that's ever been written is its prophetic proclamations. Now, we can get confused about that. In the Bible, in the New Testament, we talk about the gift a prophecy and the gift of prophecy just simply are inspired words of encouragement. I've had people come and say things to me over the years. Sometimes when they knew God had told them to to come to me, sometimes when they were just saying, "Hey, I want to tell you this," and I knew God had told them to come to me. It was an encouraging word at a right moment that helped set my course and my life and my course in a right direction. And Paul tells us that he wishes all of us, we should all aspire for that gift to be a part of our lives, that we should pray for it and seek it. But the office of the prophet is something different. The office of the prophet, this this prophet is one who proclaims the inspired word of God and foretells the events of God, tells what's going to happen, what's going to happen. Prophecy is a in the Bible is a proclamation of events to come. We see it right here with these two angels who tell us about a day when as Jesus ascended into heaven into the clouds, when he is going to come back to this earth. He says that day is going to come. The Bible is filled with these prophetic claims. Now we, in our generation, we have the benefit of being on the other side of many of these revelations, many of these prophecies. We see, we see how they were told, how, how prophets told what was going to happen before it happened, and then it happened. And so we have the benefit of seeing the power of God's prophecies. We have seen the outcome and they confirmed the power of God. The prophets, for instance, told Israel that they were going to be taken captive into Babylon. And then they told them 70 years later, you're going to be able to come back home and, it's, and things are going to be reestablished. And that happened. The Bible gives us well over 300 prophecies about the Messiah, Jesus' first coming. And we've seen them as Jesus fulfilled them. The prophets told Israel, uh, told of Israel being dispersed among the nations and the prophets told that in the last days the Jewish people would return home and form a nation again. For almost 2,000 years, the Jewish people of Israel were were spread around the world to the point that, you got to understand, to the point that if you go back and you read before the 1900s, you read many pastors that who come to this scripture and talk about this proclamation. They transition it from being the Jewish people to being the church and that the church is established and they, they've kind of dismissed the fact that Israel will ever be a nation again because it seems so impossible. And yet, in May 14, 1948, Israel becomes a nation Once again, just as God said it would happen. Approximately 650,000 Jewish people were in Israel at the time. Now in 2018, the Jewish population in Israel uh, is 6.5 million, 10 times as many as when they started. The Bible says God would restore Israel, not for their sake, but listen, He was going to restore Israel for his sake so so that his glory to the world would be, and so that the world would be without excuse. He was going to show his power. He's shown his power so that we are without excuse who see it, that we look at this marvelous, unbelievable thing that has happened, that Israel, after almost 2,000 years, is once again a nation and he says the testimony of that miracle of what I have done that is so, going to be so outstanding that the world will see it and you have no excuse to not believe in, in, in who God is and his prophecies. A unique part of prophecy uh, we call eschatology. That is the study of end times. Uh, many of these prophecies... As Fanny in the choir sang today, there are, the prophecies are being fulfilled all around us. We see them unfolding, the first of which, the establishment of Israel as a nation is a part of end times prophecy. Now, we could spend a lot of time pouring down through uh, all of those things. My father once one time spent an entire year on Sunday morning talking about end time events. But listen with me in Matthew chapter 24. We're just going to give a brief look at it today. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, this is Jesus. He says As he, it says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And Jesus answered, answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now this is, this is an important thing to think about. I we, we, we want you to catch He's not just repeating himself. When he's talking about kingdom against kingdom, he's talking about a way of seeing the world. He's talking about rules. He's talking about values. He's talking about principles of life, of what is right and wrong. The kingdom of God. When we move into the kingdom of God, we begin to, if we're wise, we begin to live our life under the rules of the king, of what. Jesus laid down about how the kingdom of God works. And he says these kingdoms of how we are to live our lives are going to come into conflict. Is that happening today? Kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Do you understand that today there are more Christian martyrs, people in jail, people losing their life than in any other time in history around the world? We just happen to live in America where we are blessed. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. This is why we need to know the word so carefully, so we will not be led astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. What's he talking about when he's talking about lawlessness? He's not just talking about people speeding. He's not talking about people uh, cheating on their taxes or stealing things. He's talking about moral lawlessness. It's the very things where people we hear Matthew in Matthew seven, where Jesus talks about people who called unto His name and did a lot of things in His name, and He says, "Depart from me, ye workers of lawlessness, because they have continued in moral depravity, and they've continued ignoring the moral law, and they are lost." And he says lawlessness will be increased. And because of that, the love of many will grow cold. People who have loved God will be caught up in the culture and the lawlessness of the day and support the lawlessness of the day. And And because they turn from the right teaching of the word, their love for God will grow cold. All of these things are happening today. Just like there are many events that took place in Jesus' first coming, there are many events in the end times. And the day, the end of the church age, seems to be closing in upon us right now as we look at it. The eyes of the world have shifted in, in my lifetime clearly to the Middle East. In October 1973, the Yom Kippur War started as a group of Arab nations attacked Israel, and Israel took ground in that war, won that battle, took ground in that war, that's still being debated today. A few years later, the fall of the Soviet Union, the Great Cold War, in June of 1990, the official dismantling of the Iron Curtain took place. And listen, in August of 1990, Iraq invaded Kuwait and again, eyes began to shift clearly to the Middle East. What's next? Well, Jesus says things can grow worse, and that eventually we'll see what is talked about uh, by Paul in First Thessalonians. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15, He says, "For we declare to you by the word of God that we who are alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep." For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry and a command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. That's the midnight cry when that trumpet sounds. Now, listen, that's not the second coming. That's what is called the rapture of the church. The church is taken away. Theologians argue about when this will happen. Some believe it happens before an event that we call the tribulation. That's a pre-tribulation. Some believe it happens in the middle of the tribulation. Some believe it happens at the end of the tribulation. I personally believe it's going to happen at the before the tribulation. A tribulation. The tribulation is a part of end times prophecy. It is a time of trouble. What I believe will happen, what I believe the word shows us, is that the church will be taken off of this earth. And then there's going to be a seven-year period where something happens that allows a one-world government to unite in a good part of the world. There will be a leader who will unite Israel, He'll unite the, the, the Middle Eastern nations with a peace treaty, and it will seem like peace in our time for those who are on the earth. Most of Europe will be united under his rule, maybe even the U.S., and there will be a few years that look like peace, but then this leader will begin to enforce religious rules that are anti-Christ rules, He will begin to establish control over government, especially buying and selling and money. And he will break his treaty with Israel. Now, this this idea of this kind of castless society is is interesting because it shows us how prophecy many times gets enlightened as time rolls on. Many of us, when I was a boy growing up, The whole idea of this cashless society based on a mark on your hand or a mark on your forehead would have been interpreted. I've heard many preachers interpret it this way. You'll have to get a tattoo on your hand, a number that will be, uh, you know, the way that you buy and sell. Now we look at it and we think, well, maybe it won't be a tattoo at all. Maybe it'll just be a chip they put in our hand. But it'll be some way for this leader to control Mankind, and he'll do it in the name of us having freedom, and it'll seem like an answer. From that point forward, after that first about three and a half years, the next three and a half years are real times of trouble. This enemy is clamping down on anybody, this leader, on anybody who doesn't follow him. He's leading them to a point of war against other nations, especially Israel. And the wrath of God is beginning to be poured out upon this earth. At the end of that tribulation time, we have what we call the second coming of Christ. Christ will, that's when the second coming of Christ will happen and he will at that time come as king His first coming, he came as the perfect lamb. His second coming is as the king of kings. Now, we can go into a lot more depth in this, but I want you to begin to think about the return of Christ because the Bible teaches us that the wise man lives ready for the master's return. He lives ready for what? The second coming? No, that's going to happen after the rapture. The wise man lives ready for the rapture of the church, for the catching away of the church when we will leave this earth. And the wise man lives ready, not only for that, but ready, understanding that there's two ways we're going to stand before God. One is we're going to him. Or two, he's coming to us. And in neither one of these are we certain what the hour is going to be. Now here's a few... A few thoughts for you today. When the rapture takes place, I think the world's going to explain it away. I think that because they always explain the miracles of God away. I don't think there's going to be headlines in the newspaper saying the church has been raptured. I definitely don't think, as I've seen movies portray and others say, that our graveyards will be like fresh plowed fields. Any more than I think there'll be holes in the ceilings of the buildings that you're in if you get raptured. I think God has the power to suspend all those things. And I think the world will find an excuse. They'll find a reason why the church is suddenly, real believers are suddenly gone. Listen, not every church is going to be empty. In fact, I don't think any church will probably be empty. I think a lot of churches will have the vast majority of people gone. But I think there'll be other churches that'll be just as full that Sunday as they were the Sunday before. Because they've never really surrendered their life to Christ and they were living in lawlessness. Some people will recognize that this has happened. There'll be some people on this earth who will look around. Maybe they'll show up at Calvary Church and uh, there will only be three or four people here. And they'll realize, mom's gone, dad's gone, grandma's gone, my brothers are gone. All the people who really seriously committed themselves to Christ, all my friends who were really seriously committed to Christ are gone. Now, friends, I hope that doesn't happen to any of you. Now, I'm telling you, it would be better for that to happen to you than for you to die and go and stand before God not ready. Now, the next seven years are going to be hell on earth. And, and you better be prepared to lay your life down. I don't think many people are going to make it through that seven years and, and, and because it's going to require the laying of your life down. And if we won't lay our life down today where the Holy Spirit is strengthening us and, and being upon us and guiding us, what makes me think anybody's going to lay their life down during that time? There will be some that will. They'll, they'll recognize what happened. If that, if that day comes for you, I want to encourage you, if that day comes for you, get your Bible out and really read about the end times. If that day comes and you suddenly realize, boy, the church is gone, you can go down to my office at the church and take all the books you want. I won't be needing them anymore. They're all yours. Read them, study them, look at them, get yourself ready because troubling times are really just around the corner. Troubling times are coming. There's still hope, but the price is heavy. If you're here today, don't take never, whatever you do, don't take what the Bible calls as the mark of the beast. You do that, you take that mark, it's all over for you. Eternity is over for you if you take that mark. You say, Pastor, this sounds a little crazy. And I'll tell you, I understand. You know, you think about you know, the Lord showing up in clouds and, and the, the church being taken away and you know, God pouring out his wrath. And The Bible warns us that in the end times, people will be saying, oh, they've been talking about this forever. They've been saying this over and over again. That's not going to happen. But I want you to think about this. When you read about the prophecies in the Bible... Put yourself into the thinking, especially prophecies that have been fulfilled. Put yourself into the place of the people who are hearing those prophecies for the first time. What did they think? When they were looking at what the prophets were telling them were going to take place, what did they think? When they were being carried away to Babylon and the prophets were saying to them, listen, go there, settle down, Uh, establish your homes, establish because you're going to be there for 70 years and then he's going to bring you home. What did they think in those moments? What's the natural course of things? When we stand on this side of the promise, it always seems a little crazy. When you're at the banks of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is coming in behind you and you have no place to run, the promise that God is going to get you out of that fix seems a little crazy at the moment. When, When you're on this side of the fiery furnace and the king's about to throw you into it, on this side of the promise, it seems a little crazy. When you're standing outside the lion's den and they're about to throw you down into it. The promise and the power of God seems a little, you seem a little overwhelmed. When you're faced with an overwhelming army, the promise of God seems a little out there. When you're being dragged off to Babylon, it seems a little out there. When you're standing with Jesus, holding a few loaves and a few fishes, and he looks at you and says, okay, we're going to feed the multitude with this seems a little crazy at that moment, doesn't it? When you're watching the hope of your life die on the cross, the promises of Jesus seem a little bit crazy. And when you're standing outside the tomb for the first time and you're leaving, the hope that he's going to come out of it seems a little out there. And friend, a 100 years ago, if you and I had been alive and we'd been looking at the promise of God that he's going to bring Israel back and make them a nation again, you'd think, that's a little crazy. But God's word is God's word. He's given it to us to reveal to us that he keeps it, what he says is going to happen is going to happen. It's been proven time and time again. And the fear and the worry is that we will excuse it all away and ignore what he says is going to happen. And Matthew chapter 24 says this. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So they will be, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. Let's stand together today. Father, we just pray you'd help each and every one of us right now by the power of your spirit to search our hearts, to search our spirits today, Lord, and, to, to, and, and let us see, Father, whether we're ready to stand before you, whether we're living in lawlessness, where we're, whether we're fighting your kingdom, or whether we are submitted to your kingdom and we are living under your way and we have submitted our heart to your son. Father, these are not things for us to fear. These are things for us to rejoice in. That this world and its order is someday going to be put behind us and the pain and the suffering, the heartache, the brokenness, the sickness of this society is going to be healed by the power of your spirit. That you're going to come and begin a work. But Lord, before that day, your second coming comes. We know there's going to be some really troubling days. And Lord, we'd just soon be with you when those are going on. Father, we know. We know. We're either going to you or you're coming for us. And the only hope for us in that hour is that we put our faith in your son, Jesus, to be our Savior. We put our trust in your son, Jesus, to be our Lord. So speak to us today and guide us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As every head's about every eye closed. Just say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm ready to stand before God in that hour. If he came today, I, I'm not sure I'm, I'd be ready. I'm not sure I would go. But I want to be before I leave this place. Friends, we want to give you that chance right now, just very simply. Very simple thing. Jesus has done all the work. All you've got to do is receive him in, in, him in your life. You say, Pastor, I want to make sure my heart's ready to be stand before God. Just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. God bless you. I see that hand. Others today, you'll raise your hand and say, pray for me. I see that hand. God bless you. Anyone else today? You'll raise your hand and say, pray for me. Pray for me. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else today? Oh, don't miss the opportunity, friends. Don't be asleep during this. Be awake. Anyone else? Let's all pray this prayer together. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I put my trust in Jesus to be my Lord. I put my faith in Jesus to be my Savior. And I ask you to help me to live for him who died for me. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a song.